0: This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over eighty thousand vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over fifteen years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com/slash-auctions. And check it out for yourself. What's up everyone, this is episode 179 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards, from past to present to future. This is your host Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Podcast, and my Twitter is at WaxMuseumPC. Well, um, it was a sad week in the basketball world this past week, as you guys already know by now. Uh, Bill Russell passed away on Sunday at the age of 88, and there have been a lot of really good tributes to him already this week um, that have covered his career on the court, including the 11 rings, the five MVPs, uh, 12 straight seasons with 1,000 rebounds or more, and then similarly, a lot of these tributes have done a really good job addressing his work off the court, specifically in the area of civil rights. Now, um, all of that stuff, you know, save for archived clips, obviously is a lot of people talking about Bill Russell. But if you're interested in hearing more from Russell himself, um, I have a couple quick suggestions for you. The first one is an NBA TV special that aired in 2013 called Mr. Russell's House. And basically Bill Simmons went to Russell's house, and the two talked about everything from growing up in the Civil Rights era um, and playing in that era to Wilt Chamberlain to the present day. You can still find that one on YouTube. Um, I've watched it several times since it aired, and we'll probably revisit it again in the near future. And the other Russell resource I would recommend is a little harder to come by, but it's an autobiography that came out in 1979 titled Second Wind. And it's been out of print for a while now. Um, Copies have been going for anywhere between $50 and $100 on eBay this week. Don't go out and buy it for that. Just wait. Um, Wait it out. Cheaper copies will come around from time to time. Uh, Now, seeing as this is a hobby podcast, I do want to touch on Bill Russell as it pertains to the hobby a little bit. And I'm not going to talk so much about specific cards here, which you might expect. You know, I've talked all about my pursuit of his rookie card, Um, and I went through some of those cards on my YouTube channel earlier this week. But I want to talk about autographs because Bill had an entire section on them in that book that I referred to called Second Wind. Um, some of you might already know that Bill was not a big fan of signing and supposedly stopped signing for a while in the mid sixties. And I've seen some people sum that section up by saying that he felt it was very, uh, a very impersonal exercise. And there was a line in the book where he wrote, quote, the process is like an assembly line. And I never had a single conversation while signing my name, end quote. Um, a couple pages later, he continues There are many fundamentally nice people who ask for autographs and want little more than a chance to express kindness toward me, but in order to accept their kindness, I would have to increase the risk of growing dependent on it. I'd also have to expose myself to people who dislike me, and to violate my belief that there should be no glories or obligations imposed on people other than by their own choice. As I saw it, I had to make a choice between those people and me, and I chose myself it seemed to me the best way for me to be at peace with myself. Um, Continuing on, Russell wrote, Of course, there are still a lot of people who will insist that I'm supposed to sign autographs, no matter how I rationalize it. But since they deny me the free choice, they make it easy by reminding me that apart from all my abstract principles, autographs are usually a pain in the ass. Well, remember, um, Mr. Russell wrote that in 1979. And over time, he became more receptive to signing again. I mean, obviously, you've seen some of those autographs. And, and, you know, I say he was receptive, albeit, you know, it was definitely a paid setting. Um, But I should point out that he made sure everyone that paid for that experience actually got just that um, a conversation and an experience. And you've even heard um, Jarrett talk about his experience with Mr. Russell on here before. Um but then after, you know, he kind of loosened his policy a little bit. He signed a deal with a memorabilia company in the early 90s. He signed cards for Action Packed in 1995. As far as I know, those are the first uh that's the first card contract he had. Um he hit the show circuit with promoter Rich Altman who handled all of his public signings for years and then eventually he went on to sign for some of the other big card companies including uh, Upper Deck and Tops and most recently Panini. Um, And now it's interesting to me to hear a prominent athlete like this talk through his philosophy of signing. You know, a lot of that seemingly a result of him being mistreated or people acting like he owed them something, which in itself was a bit of a microcosm of, of some of the other criticisms he endured over the years. And as a collector, obviously I'm happy he became more receptive to signing over time. And I've owned a handful of different Russell autos over the last few years, I've talked about my own philosophy of collecting quite a bit on this show, be it direct or indirect. I like to narrate the history of the game. So my hope now is that I can take something that at one point was very impersonal and was a big pain to him and use that to honor him and tell his story and ultimately talk about his accomplishments both on and off the court. I don't just want it to be just a flex, you know, just a card show off, but I want there to be some, uh, maybe some purpose behind that. And before I move on here, and I know I've said this before, we don't have to wait until these greats from previous eras die to give them the attention they deserve. And don't get me wrong, Russell was talked about a lot more than his contemporaries, although he still wasn't talked about enough. Um, You see, the NBA, comparatively speaking, is a young league, and some of the early guys are still with us, so they should be celebrated. And I wish we would spend more time appreciating era's instead of comparing them, and really it's not too late to change our approach. Uh, With that being said, we lost a great one this week, and like I told Boston Steve in one of our recent exchanges, we knew this day was coming, but it was a sad day nonetheless. And I apologize about the thunder behind me there, that was um, not intentional, but it has been storming at my house all evening, so i got to record though, it is what it is. Okay. Before I move on to talk about this week's mail and share the newest collector classified, I want to remind you that this show is sponsored in part by Checkout My Cards. ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at Check Out My Cards. Uh, and I do need to add here, my submissions that I dropped off in Dallas, they're starting to already show up in my account. So uh, this is one of my favorite parts is pricing the stuff as it shows up in there. So uh, hopefully you've had a chance to experience that as well. If not, check them out, comsee.com. Okay, on to the mail. And actually, I'm going to start this segment with a mail day that never was a mail day that someone was apparently trying to create for me. Earlier this week, Vintage Pacers Steve sent me an eBay listing, which is something we both do throughout the course of a normal week. We're always sending auctions back and forth, but this one was different. It was titled Germaine O'Neill, 2004 Fleer Patchworks Patch Time Jersey Patch Number to 100 Wax Museum Pod. Yes, you heard that right. Someone put Wax Museum Pod at the end of the auction title, I don't know if I should feel flattered or targeted, or maybe a combination of the two. Uh, I know several people who saw this told me it was a sign that I've officially made it. Uh, Regardless, it was certainly an interesting use of leftover characters. At the same time, though, I'm not searching the show's name on eBay. In fact, it probably came up in my normal patch search throughout the week, and even though I saw the card, I glossed over it. So I'm usually moving pretty fast looking at thumbnails thanks to Steve, uh, eventually I found it. And while I didn't actually buy the card, I got a good laugh out of it nonetheless, but not part of the mail day. Sorry, whoever did that. Nice try. Um, I did get one card in though. Mail has been pretty slow lately, which is probably a good thing. Uh, Work's been crazy busy for me in a good way. And I also need to regroup a little bit after going to a couple big shows this summer. But last week on eBay, I grabbed a 2014-2015 Paramount Penmanship Blue Auto of Dolph Shays, numbered 19 of 25. And ever since starting my 75th anniversary team collection and making those videos for my YouTube channel, I've been looking for a nice on-card auto of Dolph. And there's plenty out there. I've come close on a couple older upper deck autos, but I really liked some of the on-card Panini stuff better. And while I say there's a number of autos out there, you know, a lot of them are Sport Kings or they're, you know, they're upper deck. Uh, or their sticker autos, so there's just not a lot of on-card autos out there for uh, from the Panini era, and then a lot of the National Treasures ones I've seen have had bad corners, so um, you know, it's like, I don't know, like the box got damaged either shipping to him or shipping back. Um, as I mentioned earlier though, this card was from the 2014-2015 season, and Dolph passed away in December of 2015, so this means that uh, this has to be one of the last sets he signed for, or one of his last on-card autos, I should say, because they had some sticker autos that came out from the grave. Um, but anyway, I'm glad I held out for this one because the blue foil looks great with the blue on-card auto. Don't see that blue foil all that often, um, so i definitely happy to get this one. And before I move on, though, I, you know, I recognize that some of you are probably not familiar with Dolph Shays. You might hear his name in passing on NBA TV, but he's not talked about a lot Um, Despite the fact that he was one of the most prominent big men in the early days of the NBA, in fact, I've seen it argued that Dolph was the best player of the 50s. And we're talking overall here from start to finish. Otherwise, I think uh, Russell would probably hold that distinction instead. But Dolph played the entire decade. A couple more quick tidbits about Shays. Uh, He was the league's first rebounding champion, his second year in the league. It's because they didn't start keeping track of rebounds until 1950. He was an excellent foul shooter, shot over 90% multiple times in his career. Um, and one of those years, he was third in attempts. And that kind of sets the great players apart, you know, the great scores. If you can get to the line 10 times a game, that's huge. Um, he won a ring with the uh, Syracuse Nationals in 1955 against the Pistons. And a fun fact about that series, whoever owned Fort Wayne's Arena didn't have a lot of confidence in the Pistons. And they double booked the arena. So they had to play those home games in Indianapolis instead. Um, which I know that also happened in the ABA later on with the Pacers. But imagine if that happened in the NBA Finals today. Anyway, um, I, you know, I wish I would have picked up more of Dolph's stuff in the past or written to him in the mail because he was a great signer then while he was still alive. Um, I think he's one of those names I saw a lot in early Panini products. And, and I just thought, you know what, hey, this guy is product filler. Well, I was wrong. It turns out he was in there because he was great. So, like I said, I'm glad I picked up this auto, and I'll try to remember to post it up on social media so you can see it yourself. Hi, this is James Benoit, at Jab on Instagram, at Bonton underscore Oulay on Twitter. I'm looking for an Allen Iverson Ultra Stars, Allen Iverson Platinum Portraits, Kobe Bryant Ultra Stars, and Kobe Bryant or Allen Iverson Big Men on Court. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Okay, so as you can see, James has pretty good taste when it comes to 90s inserts. And I want to specify real quick, he's asking for the Big Men on Court insert, not to be confused with the die-cut Big Man on Court, although those are pretty cool, too. Um, You know, selfishly, I would say it's too bad Reggie Miller was never in any of those sets. Um, You know, I've never really chased them, But that allows me to hunt them down and collect them vicariously through some of you. And hopefully we can do just that for James. I'll post his info up on social media, and we'll see if we can't help him track some of these down. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www. Waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle. Grind. Spam. Profit. We're the Rip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so I haven't talked a lot about Beckett lately, and as a lot of you know, they are in a little bit of a transition phase right now. And back in early June, they hired a new CEO from the tech world named Kunal Chopra, who admittedly is not very familiar with the collectibles industry. And I think that can still work as long as he manages to surround himself with the right people. I should also add, he's mentioned on several occasions that he wants to sit and meet with collectors and get an idea of what they might be looking for. And I think that's a good thing. As you'll see in a few moments, I'm not sure it's actually happening, but in theory, it's a good idea. So, about a month after he was hired, he was a guest on a couple episodes of Dr. Beckett's Sports Card Insights podcast, and I have to say, I was a little confused about where the company was headed after hearing from the CEO himself, and that is probably the opposite of how things should work. But, you know, you can go back and you can see my tweet from July 7th where I ask, What kind of company is Beckett looking to be? A grading company? A media company? A data company? And there was a lot of uncertainty, and I had several other people that were expressing those concerns to me as well. However, like I said, they're in a transition period, and sometimes transitions are rocky. I get that. With that being said, uh, the way they presented themselves at the National this past week leads me to believe that their situation might actually be worse than I thought. And I know I use the phrase identity crisis in the episode title. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic when I say that. You know, I recognize that it's been a popular thing lately for people to just uh, pile on BGS. So I want to emphasize here at the start, I want Beckett to succeed. Because to me, that name and that brand has always been synonymous with the hobby. And even if they're not your grading company of choice, I think when they're firing on all cylinders the hobby is in a better place. You know, as we all know, competition is good. It forces some of the other big companies to step their game up and we all benefit from that. Okay. So what exactly happened at the national? And you probably, you know, if you've been on social media, you have some clue here, but, um, even the people that saw it firsthand are having a hard time really wrapping their head around what actually happened. So I'm going to give it my best shot here. It all started on Wednesday afternoon when a collector named Eric, who goes by at those back pages on Twitter, he tweeted out a series of pictures from the Beckett booth with the caption, these are the new BGS slabs, no joke. And a lot of you saw that picture on social media as it made the rounds, and they were much different than the traditional BGS slab everyone knows. Um, It had the new Beckett logo with the letter B and the star in the top left, and you know, I've had a couple people tell me, hey, that looks like the Rockstar Games logo, and you know what? I'm not going to argue with that. That's kind of spot on. Um, and then the font on these slabs was different too. And my initial thought was, Hey, you know, this thing looks kind of bad. And while I don't speak for everyone, I I wasn't the only one that felt that way, but keep in mind, that was just a, a matter of opinion. Um, however, the thing, you know, they were getting annihilated on social media and people were scrambling to find out, is this really the new slab or not? And it was around that time that another big hobby account, um, Ivan, at Watch the Breaks tweeted out a link to the new Beckett website, which, thankfully, they are making a new Beckett website, and the last one sucked. Um, but anyway, this website showed cards in those new slabs and described the three different labels. So you had the black label that was a 10, you had the gold label that was for um, 10s and nine fives, and then a silver label, which the website stated was um, all cards graded 9 and below. And while we're used to... The you know the black label, the gold label, and the silver label already. It used to be that anything eight and below was that ugly, I guess, white label with the diagonal gray text on it. So that was a change. Um, well, shortly after that, I got another update from someone that was at the National. It was '90s B-Ball cards, Jake Roy. Right, you've heard him on the show before. He posted on Instagram. I saw the display of the new slabs as my friend Joe and I were sharing our displeasure. We ran into Mr. Murray. And let me interrupt Jake's quote here to clarify, for those of you that don't know, Mr. Murray is the president of Beckett Collectibles, Jeremy Murray. So to continue Jake's post, uh, Jeremy overheard them chatting and said, you know, those were just samples to get feedback. And he was glad to hear that um, Joe and Jake were clearly not fans. And then he said, that's the feedback they wanted before they start producing their new slabs. Okay, so thank you, Jake, for giving us uh, the boots on the ground, that firsthand report. Uh, All right, so now at that point, we'd heard from a Beckett employee. And then on Twitter, we got an update from another Beckett employee, Ryan Cracknell. He's their hobby editor. He tweeted out, FYI, just checked. This is not the new label. As far as I understand, (laughs) there isn't one yet. I'm sure they'd love collector input. Uh, All right, end quote. Left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand. Uh, By the end of the week, this had kind of become a big joke on Beckett's social media. Nearly every time they posted a picture of their booth, there was some sort of arrow or scribble added on that said something like, again, these are not our new slabs. And on their day two recap, they even added the hashtag slabgate, which seemed like a really odd way for them to address their own predicament. I mean, I I guess they're trying to make fun of themselves, but it kind of makes them look dumb either way. Um, Now, since then, a lot of people have weighed in on if those really were the new slabs or not, which, you know, I guess we'll never know, but it's worth thinking about. I think it gives us some insight into the way the company is operating right now. I mentioned earlier that Mr. Shopper wants to have uh, open dialogue with collectors. Well, if this really was their way of testing out a new slab prototype, It seems like a pretty convoluted way to go about doing that. You know, you could just post them and ask. Uh, And as someone else pointed out on Instagram, if they were a sample prototype, well, where are the rest of the prototypes? Where are the other samples to compare them to? Um, Now, my favorite post of Beckett's over the weekend read as follows. Seemed to be some confusion about the supersized labs we have on display at booth 1844. To which I would say yes, 100%. Um, and I think the confusion, which they're you know, they're implying that everyone else is confused, uh, I think Beckett is just as confused as anyone else, if not more, because it seems strange to roll up to the biggest hobby event of the year with one new slab design plastered all over displays and t-shirts and the website only to say, this isn't actually our new slab. You know, what's the point of that? So my thinking here is they probably were the new slabs. Beckett saw the backlash and instantly got cold feet about the whole thing. And if that is actually what happened, they could have just owned up to it. And even though they would have still looked foolish, they could have moved on and it is what it is. Um, instead, I believe they called an audible and chose to make it seem intentional, which also hurt them because it more or less forced their representatives, be it in person like Jeremy or on social media like Ryan to interact with customers in a more reactionary way, which in some cases even got a little defensive. And I don't blame either one of those two guys. You know, they were, they were given the situation to the best of their ability. Um, so I don't know who made this call to do all this, to pull this big stunt here, but whoever it was, why would you put your employees in that situation? So hopefully Mr. Chopra can en- engage in some constructive dialogue with his employees. Uh, in addition to to the collectors he said he would be talking to. And if those conversations eventually happen, I hope they ask the same question I opened this segment with, the same thing I tweeted on July 7th. What kind of company is Beckett looking to be? A grading company? A media company? A data company? Now, if we go by what Mr. Chopra has already said in an interview with Sports Collectors Digest, there quote, Transitioning from being a services company to being more of a software platform and analytics company that powers our tech enabled services. And then in that same interview, he also said We are moving from being a cards and comic books company to operating in multiple categories. We have a product roadmap that includes VHS, yes, you heard that right VHS, sneakers, and other collectibles. Collectors will start seeing a lot of these products and services launched in the coming months. Now, Chopra closed with this. um, The vision for Beckett is very simple. We want to build the most amazing products and services on the planet for collectors. That's it, period. It's that simple. Well, if the debacle at this past week's National is any indication, it isn't that simple. And for the time being, they, being Beckett, might be the ones that are complicating it. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, Like I said at the start of that final segment, I want Beckett to succeed. I want them to rebound in a way that enhances the sports card industry in ways that we've never seen before. I think that could be really exciting, but it's hard to do that if you don't really know where you're going. And even though they've talked a little bit about their vision that's the impression I'm getting from them right now. So I hope in the days to come, they stop and talk to collectors and assess the situation, regroup if they have to, and then move forward. And, you know, maybe you have some ideas you'd like to share with them and you haven't received a personal lunch invitation from Mr. Chopra. Well, don't reach out to me. You can find them on Instagram under the handle at Beckett Collect. Uh, Likewise, For all other matters, you can find me under Atwax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under Atwax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www